Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kibbe. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. All right, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Today, I am joined by another phenomenal guest. Yes, I use that word a lot, phenomenal, because it's the best word, really, to describe the guests I have on my show, because I, I only go for the best. Uh, and today, I am joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kibbe. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. And we were joking before we started. Uh, we've been working on this for, I dare say, you know, 12 months or so, and I'm so excited to actually get this, uh, not only the opportunity to speak to you, but to introduce you to my audience. And I, I dare say that there's hardly anybody in my audience who doesn't know who you are, but let's just assume for a second that, um, some folks have not yet heard of the great Matt Kibbe. If you could give us a little bit of an intro to Matt Kibbe and your introduction into libertarianism. So, well, that, that, that goes all the way back. When I was 13, I uh, stumbled across a, a rock album by a band called Rush. The album was called 2112, and it was it was the coolest album ever. And I was just rocking out, uh, reading the liner notes, and it was dedicated to the genius of Ayn Rand. And being 13 and naive, I said, who is this dude, Ayn Rand? And then I forgot about <laughs> it, but I stumbled across one of her books, um, an old beat-up copy of Anthem. I devoured it. And it really ruined my life because I then proceeded to, to seek out everything by her, everything by the Austrian economist, because she recommends uh, reading Mises in her in her nonfiction book, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. And it just it just led down this this series of, of discoveries and in seeking out a different perspective on the world. And that that to me has never gone away, that that passion uh, the sort of wonder of, of of libertarian ideas, it just sort of built into me. And, and no matter what I've done, even in Washington, D.C., it's been sort of the framework that I think about things. It's funny because I usually whenever I ask that question to my guests, you know, what brought you into libertarianism? I genuinely don't know the answers, but I, I got to say, I, I kind of. I was, I was cheating a little bit here because I knew the answer because I actually got the chance to read um, your book, which was an absolutely phenomenal read. Uh, and for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Matt Kibbe's great book, Don't Hurt People, Don't Take Their Stuff. I read it again this past summer. And it's funny because I myself, I'm a huge Rush fan. Uh, I was always a big fan 
of uh, Neil Peart. I think he's easily one of the best drummers of all time. Alex Lifeson is one of the best vocalists. Um, so I, always, I just thought it was very funny that, you know, here, it, music, and I'm a big music buff, music can bring people together, not only in terms of the, the music itself, but then kind of the underlying philosophy. And obviously, with their dedicating the, the, the song, or the album, rather, 2112, to, to, uh, to Ayn Rand, that just... I don't know, as a libertarian, that was kind of like, huh, okay, it all makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell that story um, for several reasons, but but one is important to, to, I think, our strategy moving forward, probably the ethos of your show. I, I By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. Um, I love uh, the conversational style, um, and it's a combination of, uh, of good fun and serious ideas. But, you know, my, my gateway drug, if you will, was was music and music led me to a novel and a novel led me to more a more substantial dive into ideas and issues. And I, I think we're at that moment in history where where we can actually uh, get in a in a very uh, concentrated way into the popular culture. We can we can talk to everybody. And, and we need to rethink our strategy because the world has changed fundamentally since the days when Frederick Hayek and Ludwig von Mises and a 35-year-old Milton Friedman had to uh, retreat to the mountains of Mont Pelerin uh, with 39 other people to, to figure out how to save uh, what my friend Jeffrey Tucker would call liberalism, what we call libertarianism, classical liberalism, uh, constitutional conservatism. I don't, I don't care about the labels so much. It's the values and the ideas. Um, and today, you know, one tweet, one video, uh, one engaging conversation with uh, Dave Rubin or, or Jordan Peterson or, or hopefully more and more Austrian economists, you, you can profoundly change the way that millions and millions of people think about things. And we need to think about what we can do with that opportunity. Agreed. And I I say this as someone who has his own podcast, to have voices on my show who are in the, the libertarian or just as you mentioned, Jeffrey Tucker, who I also had in my show, the greater liberalism of, you know, just to your book's namesake, not hurting people and not taking their stuff. Um, the ability to have more and more people like that to then disseminate these ideas beyond um, you know their their normal abilities. So, for instance, I had Steve Horowitz on my show, Austrian economist, and uh, we discussed uh, various topics from an economic standpoint, discussing UBI. Uh, we discussed minimum wage, and we you know went down the list. And I had actually quite a few people email me after the fact and saying, you know, I never really thought about X in that perspective because I've never heard that perspective. And this kind of is is a interesting segue to one question I had for you. So today, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the Facebook group Liberty Memes. So they're a Facebook page, and they were well-known, you know, millions of likes of people uh, who would share these libertarian or liberty-oriented memes. And just today, uh, Facebook decided that they were going to uh, unpublish the the page, um, which basically has silenced a huge means of trying to do libertarian or liberty-leaning outreach. So Number one, I just kind of want to get what was your what's your perspective if on on liberty memes being unpublished? But then, really, what what can we do as libertarians, being free market and you know pro property rights, but yet at the same point in time, look at what Facebook's doing and say this isn't right. Yeah, yeah, I, it's funny because I was uh, just in California last week meeting with some fairly high level Facebook folks who are 
um, appear to be trying to figure out a way to build bridges to the other side. And I don't, I don't really buy this left right thing, but everyone else thinks about the world in that way. So, so sometimes you have to accept that framework, but I, I'm, I'm surprised. And I saw the Liberty memes thing. I'm, I'm shocked and surprised that they did that. And I can only conclude one thing, like for one thing, I, I think, I think a lot of, uh, of the, uh, uh, people that are deciding for Facebook at a very, mid to low level who's good and who's not they they probably don't know the difference between a libertarian and a conservative and they they tend to lump us all into one group mm-hmm. um, but, but i was thinking about another article that i read uh, i think it was last week about um you know facebook employees admitting that during the 2016 election uh they were they were suppressing quote conservative voices and i noticed it because one of the one of the people that they were targeting the most was Rand Paul mm-hmm. and uh, libertarians and libertarian Republicans and, and, and people that sort of have that perspective need to understand that, you know, my theory is, is that that Silicon Valley and, and the radical progressive left are ultimately more afraid of Rand Paul than Donald Trump. That was certainly true in 2016. You know, there was a time about a year out from the election where, where Rand Paul was considered the guy to beat, and, and they were suppressing articles about Rand. So, you know, could we be more sort of uh, paranoid, rationally paranoid about this and say, maybe they're targeting libertarians on purpose. Maybe they think that that our message is quite compelling to young people who are flirting with democratic socialism, young people who think that Bernie is as cool as a lot of young people felt Ron Paul was uh the, the two cycles before that, I think I think we need to be prepared for the fact that 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 we're, as we grow in importance, as we become more um, more dangerous, if you will, in terms of uh, turning on young people to to liberty ideas, uh, we're we're going to take fire from all sides. Enjoying today's episode? Take a second to share today's episode with family and friends on social media. Want to do even more? Swing over to iTunes and give the Brian Nichols show a rate and review. So what's the answer? I mean, that's the that's the biggest question I see a lot of people in libertarian circles asking is, you know, we want to be able to respect the the property rights of, let's say, a Facebook or a Twitter. But at the same point in time, we're we're watching as these libertarian voices are being continually silenced and there doesn't really seem to be an avenue that we can go down where we'll be able to really have an ability to make a substantive difference in the discourse. So I guess to that, you know, what, what do we do? Honestly? What? So I don't, I don't quite agree with the, the Prager U strategy, which is to, is to try to treat Facebook a little bit like a public utility and go after them legally. Um, I don't, I don't think that's the answer, but I do think that to the extent that Facebook is viewed as choosing sides and playing favorites and, and blocking alternative opinions. They, they really undermine the, the, the fundamental value of Facebook to, to its users. And, and remember, like most people on Facebook um, don't necessarily have a big philosophical agenda. They're not a big corporation. They're just people that um, feel like, you know, per advertise that Facebook is this public square where they can engage with their friends and family and, and other folks. And if, and if it is revealed over time that 
that all they are is a manipulating agenda driven uh, marketing platform. They, they, they kind of destroy themselves. But to, to get to the other question, what do we do today about that? Um, I can tell you what Free the People is doing. We're, we're looking to, and we primarily produce video content and, and our, you know, our, our, uh, various platforms. We're more on Facebook than anything else, but we're, we're quickly trying to diversify because I, I think you should never be dependent on one platform and it can't just be Facebook or YouTube. Um, and I see how many places that you publish your, your podcasts. And I think that's the strategy. Um, and, and, you know, we're looking, uh, we're already on, um, Apple play and, and some other things, but we're looking to, you know, get into Netflix and things like that because, <laughs> I want uh, there's there's a market for these ideas and these values if they are well produced and Hollywood knows that and Silicon Valley knows that and and someone's going to tap into it. So I I just think you need to be on your toes and and figure out where the next best thing is Uh, someday soon. Someone's going to figure out a blockchain solution, but I'm not I'm not waiting for that. We just 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 diversify. So a peek behind the curtain, I actually did have somebody on my show um, who – so first and foremost, his name is Jeremy Kaufman, and he is the CEO of library, LBRY.io, and it actually is a blockchain it, – it's, it's like a browser, essentially, but it's based on blockchain technology that it exists in the realm of allowing people to share content with no real oversight – um, and Jeremy, actually, he's one of the uh, the board members for the uh, the Free State Project up there in New Hampshire. Um, so I'll have to send you the link to the episode to listen to because um, he actually digs into a little bit about what he's doing from a private uh, a private uh, industry standpoint in building his his technology. But you mentioned uh, talking about your your Free the People or, uh, group. So if you could first, let's discuss you know what is Free the People and what the real mission is for that organization going forward here in 2018. Sure. So I, I left uh, FreedomWorks, an organization that I founded in 2004 in 2015, and I left to do two things. I, I left to help Rand Paul run for president, but what I really wanted to do, somewhat ironically, is is get away from politics, get upstream of politics, and and really focus on on the popular culture, where I think I think our our values um, told as a compelling story. Are, are a great way to connect with the generation that I call the liberty curious. They, they haven't necessarily heard of the word libertarian. Uh, they certainly haven't read Rand or Mises, but, but they're looking at the tribal warfare and these two tribes that are totally defined by what they hate about the other guys. And they're thinking to themselves, I, I want to be somewhere else. I don't like these choices. The very idea that, that millennials and generation Z would only get two choices in anything seems fundamentally absurd to them. <laughs> so you, you got to get up there and, and tell stories. So we, much like we did with Freedom Works and the Tea Party, we, we studied what the left was doing. And, and what the progressives do very well is they know how to tell a story. When, when, you, look, when you look at too much of our, our side's uh, documentaries, video content, as we, we have to make sure that we beat people over the head with the non-aggression principle until they bleed from their ears. Whereas the other side would tell a compelling story about someone that you care about and, and, and what, what their values can do for that person. And I, and that's what we try to do at free the people. So we, you know, we, we do a lot of videos about beer. 
as a metaphor for for entrepreneurship and free trade and uh, the, the, the cool things that happen when people are free to voluntarily associate with each other. Uh, we do some pretty stark histories of, of socialism and all the deadly isms and, and everything in between. We, we just experiment with stuff. We just released this really cool documentary about Thomas Massey called Off the Grid, which is really as much it's as so good. It's, it's really a story about about how it is that that freedom and localism and technology allow for someone to live um, an independent life that is that is green, that is uh, really dependent on his neighbors and not Washington, D.C. And, I think, and we, we actually screened it for some uh, Bernie bros and, and they were so conflicted because they loved the guy. And then they discovered that he was this this crazy Tea Party libertarian Republican and they they didn't know what to make of that. And that that's sort of the point. Like, let's let's confuse people enough that they're willing to think outside of their preconceived notion of who we are and who they are. Beer is freedom, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Want to support The Brian Nichols Show? Please consider making a one-time PayPal donation at Show at gmail.com or join the Patreon at Liberty. It's funny because I'm actually going to be having um, Shoshana uh, Weissman from the uh, R Street Institute on my show, and she's going to be discussing occupational licensing. And one thing that she does that I think is very much in line with what you're promoting is making these issues, uh, these issues, these topics very personable to the point that in, in the same realm, what you're doing is telling a story with a compelling emotional pull. So people are like, Oh, you know what? That person who, you know, they were going to be a hair cutter. And then all of a sudden they're faced with, you know, let's say a $30,000 haircutting license that could be my aunt. That could be my uncle being a barber. I mean, there's there's a, an ability to really make it real for people in their everyday lives. Because I think part of the problem, and I'd love to hear your insight, is just in my perspective, people look at these issues as, you know, removed from them X amount of levels to the point it really doesn't impact their lives. But up to the point we can show the actual impact it has on their lives, that will, win, will be when we actually make some real substantive changes and actually win some converts. Yeah, at the, and that's exactly right. And and the lesson to be learned there is, is pretty important because I don't know how many talks and lectures I've sat through for the last 20 years where where people have a big spreadsheet up on the screen and they're talking about all of these these economic burdens that are created by overregulation and, and they, they sort of prove their point with the data. And, you know, your eyes roll over in the back of your head when, in fact, you know, what what the left would do and, and what, what I try to do with these beer stories is to show that that this this beautiful thing that you want to create, you want to bring into the world. Um, you didn't really get into it because it's an economic proposition. You just you're passionate about beer and you want to make the coolest beer ever. And then you then you. You, you take that leap as a young entrepreneur and, and suddenly just you discover that there's all these barriers that state and local and federal government will prevent you from trying to sell that beer to your neighbors. And they'll prevent you from trying to distribute that beer. And all those rules come from a collusion of big government and, and big beer, um, you know, the distributors and all that stuff. And it's a it's a teachable moment for for how big government actually works. It's not really about 
punishing and reining in the big guys with regulation. It's about the big guys colluding with government to screw the little guy from selling beer to his neighbor. <laughs> and and once you once you learn that lesson, you realize that you know this 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 romantic view that that government's designed to rein in uh, the economic power of the big guys is, is exactly backwards. It's used as a bludgeon against competition, against creators, against uh, a craft brewer that would want to bring a delicious double IPA to market. This month, The Brian Nichols Show is sponsored by Stay Away From Libertarians, written by friend of The Brian Nichols Show, Remzo Martinez. In Stay Away From Libertarians, Martinez leads us on a journey through the many myths surrounding libertarianism, explores a libertarian worldview, and debunks these preconceived notions one by one in a humorous but thorough manner. Stay Away From Libertarians has received rave reviews from Low Conservative, The Daily Wire, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, The Lions of Liberty, and of course, yours truly, Brian Nichols, here from The Brian Nichols Show. Get your copy today by visiting rwmartinez.com forward slash book. Again, rwmartinez.com forward slash book. Don't miss out on this masterpiece by Remzo Martinez. rwmartinez.com forward slash book. So now we're at a point where... I think a lot of libertarians are feeling conflicted going into the the November 2018 election here. So as we're recording, it's October 22nd, Monday, and I myself, so I am still a registered Republican just for the sole fact that I can vote for those Republican Liberty Caucus members like Rand Paul, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey. But I'm going in 2018 and I I'm conflicted. And I know there's a lot of other libertarians out there who are also conflicted in terms of what's the best decision for us actually voting in this election. Do we vote for our principles in voting for libertarian candidates or small L libertarian candidates within the larger GOP? Or do we look at what's just happened over the past you know couple months with the Kavanaugh hearings and the, the, the mob-like mentality from those in the left? And do we say, you know what, looking at the GOP, as much as we hate the lesser of two evil argument, the GOP literally is the lesser of two evils. They're not the people out there, you know, mobbing people in the streets, trying to disrupt people at dinner, trying to destroy people's lives. So I know I'm conflicted. I know there's a lot of people out there who are also conflicted. So I thought I'd ask someone who's been in the thick of things for a while, what's your perspective? What do you think we should do? in 2018 when we cast our ballots? I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that because it depends where you live and, and who the candidates are. And and first of all, whether or not you think your vote is actually going to be the swing vote that decides whether or not the Republican or the Democrat in a swing Senate seat goes to Washington, D.C., and whether or not that's the swing vote that decides whether or not Chuck Schumer, God help us, or Mitch McConnell, God help us, becomes the next majority <laughs> leader. Um, I, th- I think the mistake that libertarian Republicans, in- including myself, have made in the past is is the the, the, the Libertarian Party and, and and even liberty candidates within the Republican Party they need a little bit of oxygen. So if you have an opportunity to vote your values, meaning that you're not just making a strategic vote, and I don't think there's anything wrong with strategic voting. That's kind of what voting is all about. Um, you make those decisions one at a time, but but don't just vote uh, down ballot Republican because they're the lesser of two evils. I would look at the races and look at the candidates. I'm I'm not sure that all Republicans are the lesser of two evils. 
And, uh, you know, I, I live in the district of Columbia, so I'm, I'm pretty free to vote, uh, libertarian because, uh, voting Republican probably doesn't ever matter here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it could be different in Florida. It could be different in, in a lot of these battleground states. Um, but as, as my friend Nick Sarwak would say, who's the chairman of the Libertarian Party, if you keep voting for the lesser of two evils, they have zero incentive to actually be less evil in the future. So I, I think it's it's got to be a strategic thing. But but third parties and fourth parties need more oxygen. They need um, more people that are willing to show up and just vote as a as a symbol, because they, that's how they get on the ballot. That's how they raise more money. That's how they become more competitive. And, you know, right now they're, they're, they're stuck in that situation where, you know, a lot of people that would vote libertarian just don't bother to show up because they're not going to win. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know exactly what to do about it. But, you know, when I vote, I think about it both strategically and in terms of what am I going to feel good about tomorrow? And, and I voted for Gary Johnson in this last election. And I still feel pretty good about that vote. Yep. Connect with Brian on Twitter and Facebook at B. Nichols Liberty and send your comments and questions to the Brian Nichols Show at gmail.com. I'm right there with you. And I mean, right now, I think there's at the very least two really strong libertarian candidates from a state and a national perspective. So starting in the national perspective, Gary Johnson, again, running for U.S. Senate over in New Mexico as a libertarian, and he's actually tied if not pulling higher his GOP counterpart uh, when facing the Democratic, uh, the, I think it's Democratic incumbent over there. Yeah. So Gary's obviously, he's he's got the name recognition. The 2016 bump really helped him as being the real third option to Trump or Clinton. But then up in my home state of New York, uh, Andrew Cuomo's seeking re-election. Um, you have Mark, Mark Mala, uh, Marcus Molinaro, who's running as the GOP candidate against um, against Cuomo. But then... Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp is very well known within libertarian circles, but now I'm getting people from up north who are messaging me privately saying, hey, I know you do this libertarian stuff on the side, and I know you're very involved in the movement. I've been seeing more and more about this Larry Sharp guy. You know, can you tell me more about him? And I, you know, I direct them right to the episode I had here where I had Larry on my show and we were able to talk about the issues. So I'm already seeing two very strong libertarian candidates and I think, as we discussed here, just having those two very strong libertarian candidates who can really shake things up, that really seems like a, a feasible opportunity for libertarians or just people who are sick and tired of the two-party duopoly to actually make their voices heard and shake things up. Those are those are the best two examples of, of what I'm talking about. And I, I think I think in both races, um, the Republican Party, the conservative party, it's a little bit, the structure is a little bit different in New York, but let's take New Mexico as an example. The Republican is weak and lame, and he's never going to win. And Gary Johnson could win. And if the GOP was smart, they would actually ask their candidate to pull out of that race um, and ask Gary if he wouldn't, in fact, caucus with the Republicans the same way that Bernie Sanders caucuses with the Democrats, even though he's an independent or a socialist or whatever whatever he's calling himself these days, um, Gary Johnson on budget issues, on, on regulatory issues, on questions of civil liberties, he would, 
he would be a refreshing voice on the Republican side as an independent libertarian. Um, he would also probably find common ground with with Democrats on questions like uh, criminal justice reform. But, you know, Republicans would have to be smart enough to see that there's an opportunity in New Mexico, but that that opportunity is never going to be with the Republican. And I would say the same thing in New York. Um, but, you know, I, I've never mistaken the Republican Party for the smart party. So we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Well, um, you know, Matt, I don't want to keep it you, you too long, so I want to to kind of do this one thing I always do with all my guests, and that is to get their perspective as to how the nation looks now versus how it's going to look in 2020, 2022, and then ultimately in 2024. And I use 2024 as the the end timeline because that is seemingly when Trump would be leaving his second term in office if he is in fact elected to a second term in office and Based on the way things have been going as of late, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. So to start off, 2018, after the, the midterm elections here, number one, where, where what do things look like from not only the national perspective, but more um, across the, the, the nation socially? But then let's say 2020 and 2024, Trump gets reelected, let's say, um, or if he doesn't, who maybe takes him down? And then at the end of 2024, how does the nation look after just a very divisive, you know, here we are two years into a Trump presidency, but maybe four, if not eight years removed. Yeah, like um, I start off by saying it's, you know, the conventional wisdom says that, that the Republicans will lose the House. Um, it, they're more skeptical about the Senate and Republicans have had what looks to be a, a nice bump after the, the Kavanaugh fiasco and, and the way that the Democrats manage that. Um, but I, but I think the way to think about this is in the context of, I feel like we're in the middle of a, of a really important paradigm shift, not just in American politics, but in American life, where the, the old top down way of doing things, you know, we used to do it with, with media. Uh, we still do it with politics where we, we try to force people into these boxes that they just don't want to be in anymore because they've been democratized and disintermediated by, by technology and, 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 and different access to, to new ideas and new knowledge. So all of this, all of this anger and, and tribalism and fighting, I think, I think is really a reflection of the fact that people are discovering that we're not, we don't neatly fit into two boxes. And, and frankly, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. We're all individuals. We're all going to be different. Um, that as the two tribes continue to tear each other down, which I think continues to happen in 2018, continues to happen in 2020, you're going to see more and more people register as independents, more and more people looking for that alternative. So does, does uh, Trump's presidency usher, usher in a new uh, defined Republican Party that's more nationalistic and protectionist and all that? Not necessarily. I think I think. I think there's a window of opportunity for alternative points of view in this in this decentralized world, and we should be working for that because most normal people don't actually hate their neighbors. Most normal people don't want to be constantly fighting fighting to the death at Thanksgiving dinner, and and libertarians have have that alternative perspective because we don't think that the government should be choosing sides in the culture war. We think that the culture is should be defined by the people that make up the culture, not politicians in Washington, D.C. And, and that, that creates a platform where 
where people from different perspectives can can survive and live and thrive in 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 acceptance and cooperation. And to me, if, if we can build that movement, and I don't know if it's libertarian or something else, I think I think that's an opportunity to really um, pull things back together and 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 tie this country back together in a way that 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 we all would hope for. Some much needed healing for sure. Um, 2020, what's your thoughts? Do you think uh, Trump wins re-election? Um, you know, it, it, so much of presidential politics is defined by the state of the economy. And right now the economy is doing pretty well. And if the economy is doing well, Trump gets re-elected. And that's, that's, that's always been true. You can, you can sort of look at the data going back. If, if, the, econ- if the economy falters, and I could give you 10 reasons why that might be the case. <laughs> Something else might happen, but uh, yep. but I think you, you know, for for people that are looking for an alternative, you you have to be ready when the opportunity arises. If you try to scramble and be ready when it actually arises, you've already lost. So let's say twenty twenty four. I'm going to assume Trump wins re-election. Obviously, sticking to what you were discussing there in terms of economics. So twenty twenty four. We we've been through just an absolute cage match with just politics and and tribalism. And I know everybody's just getting worn down. We're only two years into the Trump presidency, but you know, six years from now, 2024, what do you think the nation looks like? Um, are we, are we as tribal as we've been? Um, or do you think maybe we're getting some, some healing, some unity that's actually starting to come back? I think the pendulum swings the other way. And I, I don't think that Trumpism is like Reaganism in this, in the sense that, you know, George H.W. Bush rode Reagan's coattails into a third Reagan term in office. I don't, I don't think Mike Pence gets to do that. Um, I think it's, I think it's different. Uh, Trump is very personality driven. He's not ideas driven. He's not values driven. Um, and that's an opportunity that, you know, the same one that I thought we would see in 2016 for either a Liberty Republican or, or someone that sort of represents that set of ideas. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, at young guys like Justin Amash, who are amazing communicators. They, they don't fit so well. No, I, I think I would look, I would look for people that don't quite fit in today. And, and I don't know exactly who that is, but you know, it's not, it's not going to be the chain of command. Um, both parties have been punished for choosing the next person in line at, you know, Hillary Clinton was basically the Bob Dole of 2016 uh, screaming from the sideline. It's my turn. It's my turn. And that turns out not to be a very compelling value proposition proposition to voters anymore. So um, it's, it's wide open. And I I think, I think uh, there will be a seat at the table for Liberty and it's either going to be with the GOP. I don't, I don't think it's going to be with the Democrats given the trajectory they're, they're taking. Um, we just need to make sure that we have that seat. Amen, sir. Um, so now I have to ask a question that I didn't ask at the beginning, and I kind of hate myself a little bit for not asking the question. So first of all, with Don't Hurt People, Don't Take Their Stuff, I have always been a huge fan of your book, and obviously is one of the main tipping points for me to actually take the step into libertarianism. And actually, I'm doing a bumper sticker sale uh, that is uh, Don't Hurt People, Don't Take People's Stuff, which is obviously an homage to uh, to your books there. So I got to ask you, where did you come up with the phrase, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff? And did you realize how 
impactful that would be in marketing and messaging for libertarians going forward? Um, you know, I, I it, my goal, and this is the real answer, my goal was to try to figure out how to translate the entire 700 pages of Adam Smith's theory of moral sentiments into a tweet. And, you know, this is back with the old Twitter before Jack ruined it, only 140 characters. And, and I think, I think libertarians make a mistake of making liberty so complicated. And I really wanted to translate it down into, into something that, that I could explain to people who I was and what I believed. And I, I didn't imagine that it would sort of take off, but it, it's, it seems to be, uh, borrowed. And I, I love it when people borrow it, steal it. Uh, repurpose it, um, use, do it, use it any way you want, because these, these values that we call liberty are just common sense. They're what, they're what your mom taught you. And, and she probably stole it from her mom. And it's, it's really the, the basis of, of where, uh, peaceful cooperation comes from. And I think it's particularly important now that we've gotten so tribal and you're seeing all this uh, uh, rising violence in the streets. I just don't recognize that as as, as America. Um, we're the guys that have the way for people to get along and prosper and thrive and and pursue their dreams the way that they see fit. And all the rules are the rules. Are quite simple: don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. <laughs> well, Mr. Kibby, I am absolutely uh, honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your very, very, very busy schedule. Um, so with that being said, I want folks to be able to uh, to follow you all the time. So where can folks find you on social media? You know, you can find me uh, on, on my Facebook page, uh, Matt Kibbe. I'm M. Kibbe on Twitter. And probably the best place to go is freethepeople.org. And you can watch the various video series that we were referencing. It's, it's, it's really something that's, that's taking off for us. And it's, it's designed to, to be a gateway to, to some of these bigger ideas that, that I fell in love with when I was a kid. And obviously you can find you over on CRTV, which has been a fantastic opportunity for us to bring libertarianism into some of our conservative friend circles. So thanks for doing your part over there as well. Yeah. Kibbe on Liberty is uh, uh, published twice a week at CRTV. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's designed to be sort of a crossover. I, I don't want to give up on conservatives and I don't want to give up on progressives either. I think we should be talking to everybody. Amen. And that's the whole reason this show exists. We're going to talk to people that we don't agree with, get outside of our own echo chambers and hopefully change some minds and change some hearts. But, uh, Mr. Kibbe, keep on doing what you're doing. You are easily one of the best advocates we have out there actually changing people's minds and making a real lasting impact. So, uh, as a, a fellow libertarian who I don't want to speak for all libertarians because I don't think that's even possible. But with that being said, thank you for all you do. And uh, please don't be a stranger to The Brian Nichols Show. We'd love to have you back on in the future. And anything comes up down the line that you're looking to promote, we'd be more than happy to be a, an outlet over here for you. Okay, yeah, let's let's do this uh, sooner than 12 months from now. <laughs> you do what you're doing, too. I, I love the fact that, that, that your, your show's doing what it does. And, and this is how we win the future. Thank you, sir. Well, listen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed today's episode, again, swing over to, to Matt. Find him on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter, freethepeople.org, Kibby on Liberty at CRTV. All those will be included in the show notes. But until next week, folks, it's Brian Nichols here in the Brian Nichols Show signing off. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.